Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about our top three desktop features that we take for granted. Let's get into episode 26. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today is Nate, the Radar O'Reilly, who is full of surprises and a little too nice, and Matt, our Frank Burns, who's constantly whining about Nate's, Ryan, and Michael's gaming performance. How are you guys? (laughs) Fantastic. No complaints. Except for Matt. I'm fantastic (laughs) because I'm still a better gamer than those three, so you know, whatever. See, my point has been made. That's like battling a bunch of <laughs> dyslexic kids in a spelling bee. Mm, You're just yes. going to win, and I am gaming dyslexic. Nate, it's not a prize being the best of the worst, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, Matt, you could still suck. You're just comparing against three people that just suck worse. Um, How am I supposed to transition to Matt? Because I just read the show notes, and um, yeah, I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> I did kind of mess with Matt's uh, notes right there. Um. He got a dock for his Steam Deck. <laughs> I didn't read it ahead of time. Basically, half these show notes ignore. They just kind of <laughs> got off the rails, but Matt started it this time. That's okay. It's totally fun. Like, I got a kick out of it when I read it, but then I was like, I'm not exactly sure what part of that was the truth. There's no shortage of gaming for you, Matt, and you've stepped it up with a dock. Are you gaming from the dock or are you just using it for some desktop functions? I'm using the Steam Deck like I would in a Nintendo Switch, essentially, though I'm using a PS4 controller for said Steam Deck, which that's always interesting. So the nice thing with the Steam Deck is that you can use whatever controllers you want. The dock that I bought was actually one that... I had thrown Nate's away too because he is not a fan of his Frankendock that he uses currently. A little more clean, (laughs) Nate, let's just put it that way, is what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, I do have a (laughs) Frankendock. So this company called JSOC made a bunch of different Steam accessories. They have normal holders and they have protective thin line cases and bigger, bulkier cases and carrying cases that are bigger than the one that the actual Steam Deck comes with. A lot of cool accessories and stuff that they have, but I actually picked up the $39.99 dock that they had because I got tired of waiting for Valve's official one that keeps getting pushed back. This dock actually is really, really nice for those of us who have bought the Pine Phone, the original Pine Phone, or the community editions that came with the USB-C dock on those. The build quality is about the same, so it's got that like nice heavy metallic feel to it. It doesn't move around on the desk and all that stuff. And the nice thing is, at least on the cheap dock anyway, it's USB-C, and it's I believe it's either USB-3 or for one and USB-2 for another, and it does have Ethernet. Ethernet's only uh, 100, 110, so it's not gigabit. If you want the gigabit, you have to go up with the higher dock, which is also $50 as opposed to the 40 Pick your poison. I just use the Wi-Fi on the Steam Deck because, you know, less wires. It's actually been a really nice experience. Figuring out how SteamOS plays with TVs is interesting because most TVs run at the 60 hertz. So what ends up happening is I usually run the deck because I'm trying to maximize battery life and have a smoother frame rate. I usually drop the frame rate down to 40. So when you plug in the deck to the Steam Dock that I have, 
and you plug it in and the TV just says nothing because <laughs> the refresh rate's too low for most TVs. So one thing I have found is you'll get like no support or any of that kind of stuff. But the gaming experience has been really cool to use like the Steam UI, the deck UI on a bigger TV is really cool. It doesn't throw a lot of information at you. Like Nate, you'll get what I say when I, the PS4 interface throws a ton of information at you. It's just like, uh, I just want the giant play button. And that's kind of what the Steam Deck UI does for it, even on the big screen TV. Yeah, I do find the user interface on the TV is great. I didn't have any issues, though, with the docking and the screen. Because the Steam Deck is too low of a fresh rate, or your TV is... What was the issue? I'm confused. In Steam OS, when I'm running a game, or generically... You know how you have the refresh rate limiter or whatever. You, you know you can change it from mm-hmm. forty to sixty. I would always keep mine at forty. So when I would plug it into my TV, I would get a big black screen of nothing on the TV. Oh, okay, all right. But if I bump it up to fifty, it's perfectly fine. There's a, certain things that are very specific to that dock as far as how it interacts with TVs and the Steam Deck and etc. So they do have a document specifically FAQ for that particular dock. So I would recommend reading it. Overall, though, great little product. I think I spent $35 total because the first purchase you buy from their store is like a 15% off order. So for 35 bucks, it's actually not a bad product at all. I enjoy it. And I enjoy having Steam on a Steam machine without having a big other machine attached underneath all my other stuff that I already have on my entertainment center. What I'm interested in knowing is that dock station that you have or the dock stand, I should say, whatever you want to call it, is it wide enough to accommodate their kickstand case along with, you know, sticking in there as well? It's pretty molded to the Steam Deck. I honestly don't know. I know I've seen a few reviews kicking around where people have tried putting like that rubberized... um, Silicon case? Sleeve case that they have, and it doesn't quite fit. So probably not, if I had to guess. But if you do like, you know, any of like the D-brand skins or any of that kind of stuff, it should fit perfectly fine still. Well, if nothing else... I can print a thing to accommodate it, like basically make like a, an extension for it. I don't really care. I just want a, a decent dock that it might be Franken dock V2 or whatever, or maybe I'll have to take off the stand. I don't know. But the reason I say is I have in my car right now a, a two-pack screen protector for the Steam Deck. So I don't know if it's take away the whole purpose of having the etched glass. No idea. The upgraded docking station and the protective stand case for the Steam Deck. I think that would be handy to have just like the stand as well. Because sometimes I you know take it to the dining room and I set it on the dining room table and whatever. And sometimes I play with the kids there instead of on the TV. So I was just curious. I haven't really had any interest in the Steam Deck at all, but hearing you talk about connecting it to a dock and using it on a larger screen, that's something that I do find interesting. The kids play on their tablets quite a bit. We'd use them for both school-related things and gaming-related things which their tablets seriously need an upgrade. And it's one of the things I want to do with school money this year is upgrade their tablets. But I prefer it when we're gaming together or when the kids are playing games and I can see what they're doing, what the gameplay is like, instead of them just being hunched over one tiny screen. So this does give me a little bit of interest in this device. So I'll be honest, Wendy, the best way I can upsell you a Steam Deck, (laughs) because, you know, enabler. The best way I can sell it is think of it as a Linux home console. That is the best way to view it first. PC and all the other stuff is kind of secondary. 
with a dock, it gives you more of that console kind of experience, which I've in like a family case where it's not a personal device so much as it is a, you know, in your case, a family device. Yeah. And it definitely would be if we had one, it would be a family device that everyone would game on instead of just me, which we know my games, my games are the puzzle style games for the most part. So I don't know how well they'd work on a Steam Deck anyway. They might work just fine, but I'm very much in the casual gaming zone. I do like the idea of it being more of a console style where it can be set up. But then I've bought this device that could be a handheld device and it's not really being used handheld. I don't know. Something to think about, though. It is definitely something to think about. I definitely get where you're coming from. The one thing I will say is... I cannot escape the irony that the person that calls himself a casual gamer is the one with the VR set, and I am not. <laughs> hey, I'm right. not the one who uses the VR headset. It is my children who use the VR headset. It's not for me. In fairness, you still own it nonetheless. That is true. Yes. Most people would expect me to own it where I have honestly very little interest in VR. But I think VR is really cool. There is one of the games in our library that I really would like to try with it. But I'm so worried about getting headaches or dizzy. I think you'd have to sit down. And I probably mentioned it here before. We've got Universe Sandbox, which is not necessarily a game, but it's a great science quote unquote game or application where you can either look at our current solar system, you can look at other solar systems that have been pre-set up inside of it, or you can create your own and see what the different dynamics of gravity and time and stuff does to different planets and the like. And that one you can look at through VR. One of the first things I ever did in it when I was trying to set up my own planetary system, I wanted a binary star system and I put them too close together and we instantly supernovaed. So seeing that in the VR headset, I think would be kind of neat. Yeah, there are some interesting things with VR, not going to lie. I know a lot of people like Beat Saber and there are a few other games like uh, there was a Darth Vader game that came out for VR too, which I was interested in. But that price to entry is just, uh, it's it's rough, even on the secondhand market. It's one of those like, uh, I can get like eight games for that price. You know, I was totally not sold on VR until... Wendy described watching a supernova in VR. That totally changed my mindset on VR just now. Like that was actually the selling point. Wendy, good job of uh, enabling me to research that further. You are welcome. It's a really awesome game in general. If you haven't checked out Universe Sandbox, do. It's really cool. I think full price, it's right around $20. Well worth it for the different science, planetary science stuff that you can do inside of it. And even better, you can kind of step into that world in a VR mode and look at it in a different way. I haven't done that yet. Like I said, I'm afraid of getting sick while in that VR mode, just trying to play one of the games that the kids have. I was nearly falling over and it causes a lot of eye strain for me, though I don't think I've tried since getting these contacts. So it'd be kind of interesting to see if that makes a difference in how well I can handle the VR. But it is an amazing feature of VR, the educational aspects that you can use it for. 
not just in gaming. Yeah, it's the educational aspect that really has me sold and makes me wonder, could I combine the VR with the Steam Deck? Do you think the Steam Deck could swing that, Matt? Uh, no. In theory, according <laughs> to Valve, uh, no. Oh, well, an old man can dream, right? Doesn't mean people haven't tried. <laughs> Well, yeah, you are old, but that's besides the point. So speaking of things that you are combining with your Steam Deck, Nate, it looks like you bought a new keyboard for it. Yes, I have. You know, I like to tinker, and I was tinkering with a machine. And I think I may have talked about this before, but I got Secure Shell working on it, SSH. It's a very simple process to get it enabled. Not a big deal. And it does stay enabled through each of the updates, at least so far. And then also, I made some changes to my local DNS for managing a little bit easier. So I have a like a shortcut on Dolphin on my laptop or my Commodore 64 imposter, where I click on it and I can immediately get into the file system on the Steam Deck. So a couple of little things I added, you know, to it. I kind of came to this point where I wanted to actually have a dedicated keyboard for it. So I purchased, I don't have it yet. I just did this because it was a decision I had to make. Let me back up here. I didn't have to make that decision. I wanted to make that decision to have a Bluetooth keyboard for just in case, because I want to see if I can do more desktop type activities with the Steam Deck. It plays games super well. It's a lot of fun to play games on the Steam Deck. And Wendy, to your concern, I use it both docked and handheld quite a bit, which is why I want the dock station, a better dock station than the Franken dock that I have going on right now. The challenge that I'm having right now is that I like to play retro games on it, and I don't like taking the SD card in and out because I'm fundamentally quite lazy. So what I did is I took some time, set up all these things on my uh, you know, local DNS through my Pi hole, and then on the computer itself so I can very quickly easily manage the location that has all my ROM files and I can put things where I need to put them. And I have to say, that's been going great. I've added a couple more games this weekend to it from, I think, the early 2000s, I believe. And it's really convenient because I was thinking to myself, what other gaming system out there right now that I can buy that I can, through my Linux desktop, or I guess I could do it through Windows too, ultimately, manage the files, the games, whatever, remotely just drag and drop what I want and then have them ready and available to play or whatever that easily. I mean, do you know of anything that's that easy to manage remotely? No, I think that is absolutely an awesome aspect of this. My kids do play some console style games. We have an Xbox, we have an Atari, though they really don't touch that all that often anymore. And we have a Sega, I can't, I think it's a Sega Master System. And the kids really enjoy console gaming. They like the whole aspect of that. The downside of the Xbox is everything really has to be managed directly on that device. Like I can buy games somewhere else because Microsoft, so I can go to the store on my computer or whatever. But most of the game management really needs to be done directly on the Xbox itself. And that is the other thing about this device that I'm really kind of liking or hearing you talk about is the way that it is so easy to manage it both directly on the device and remotely. Yeah, that is a feature that I think is unlike anything else out there that you can buy. I mean, it's probably as easy as popping in a cartridge and unplugging it or yanking it out, whatever, but you don't have to blow on the uh, contacts to make it work. Every kid needs to do that at least once, though. I know mine have. Have yours? Yes, they have. <laughs> so, Wendy, I see you have a tease here in the show notes about you're invited to talk, but you can't talk about it. So what is this about? Yes, I have. I have been invited to a Linux conference to talk. And I've been told that I can't talk about the conference yet because it hasn't actually been fully announced. I have to wait till it's announced before I can talk about it. 
And we're working through some of the logistics in the back end. It would mean traveling outside of the country, which I've only traveled outside of the U.S. once, and that was to Canada, and it was at a time that I didn't need a passport to do it. So I have to get a passport, potentially, and I need to find where my kids are going to go for a week during the school year. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that need to happen in order to make this work, but I'm really, really excited and I'm hoping that I can make it all work in the back end and then be able to talk to you about it next week because by the time we talk next week, I want to be locked in with a yes or a no by that time the conference should be announced so I can talk about it whether I'm going or not and all of that fun stuff. So with any luck, I'll be able to travel outside of the country this year, go speak at a conference, meet some more Linux people in person, but we'll just have to see if that gets to happen or not. Well, that sounds incredibly exciting. Are you flying over a pond to get to this, the big pond? Yeah, I'd be over the big pond. It would be roughly a 17 hour to 20 hour flight, depending on the flight. So it's definitely not a quick Hop and a skip. That's a long time in the air. Yeah, even more so for someone who's never flown before. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's safer to fly than it is to drive to the airport. So I'm sure you'll be fine. But some of my favorite airplane experiences are when the plane kind of free falls for a moment and everybody freaks out on the plane. I always think it's funny, but nobody else does. I'm, I'm the only one laughing. Yeah, I would probably be one of those people freaking out. But like I said, I've never been on a plane before. And so the whole experience from start to finish would be incredibly new. Not saying that I'm not excited to potentially be going, but at the same time, I'm a little nervous because it's not, hey, I'm taking a plane for the first time to somewhere in the US, not even on the same continent. going to be a big, big change. So I'm looking forward to potentially getting to do that and more details to come for sure. I did make a promise on Macedon just before Destination Linux 286 dropped about sharing some outtakes. I have finally put that together. The only place you're going to find it is on my Macedon where I shared a link to that. I will share a link down below to the post on Macedon. So if you'd like to check out those outtakes from my segments, you can give them a look too. Awesome. I like the outtakes. They're fun. They're always fun. I did have to cut out some of the best ones because they did include bad Wendy's and sinister Wendy's. So those did need to be removed, but there are a few fairly good ones. I know when I was going through it, my seven-year-old was absolutely getting a kick out of some of them. So you might too. You know, if you had to cut out every time Matt was bad, we probably wouldn't have a show. We would have to bring Bill on full time. (laughs) (laughs) He's just going to let that one marinate. Yeah. Just going to sit on that one. Are you still with us, Matt? Yeah, I'm still here. Obviously he's speechless, which is rare for Matt. Oh no, I'm not speechless. I was on mute because I didn't want to uh, interrupt your flow of conversation, Nate. So by the way, mark a bad Matt now. Okay. Nate. There you go, Wendy. There's your uh, outtake segment that you can't post. <laughs> yep. The one, well, I'll share it, but I'll just share it between us. Nobody else gets those. Those fun little golden nuggets that are just for us. Magneto can probably laugh at it too. Oh, yes. He gets a kick out of them all the time. I do share those with him. I'm not going to lie, Wendy. I'm surprised you have not dropped one of those in like the actual creator's room. <laughs> mm, yeah, I haven't. <laughs> I've just kept on between two of us. Anyway, back on the topic now. Now I guess it's time to switch gears. 
This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one to a team of 1,000 people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, you can get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. All three of us are huge fans of desktop Linux. We use it every single day. And there are certain things that we've gotten used to over the years in using Linux and as it progressed on desktop that we start to take for granted. What are some of the things you guys use every single day in desktop Linux that you just assume is going to be there? You're so used to it being there, you don't even think about it anymore. So I guess this topic has made you think about the things you don't typically think about. There are many things about the Linux desktop that I forget how awesome it is until I have to use something else. The number one on my list, I think Mac has it to some degree and maybe Windows has had it or you can add it to Windows. I want to be careful here. I don't want to talk too much about Windows. You know, I don't want to be the Windows Out Loud podcast, but virtual desktops. I know they can do them in Mac. Don't know how you do them in Mac, but the ability to take and divide up my work on different desktops to keep myself focused on a specific task, along with muting notifications so I can actually finish a task, which that's always exciting to get to finish a task. I think I should put up a bell in my house to ring it, you know, like satisfaction of service in the restaurant. The ability to divide out my work and then switch workspaces accordingly is an amazing feature that I don't think I can do without at this point. I got used to it using CDE some 20 years ago on Unix, and pretty much since then, it's something that I think is just a feature that every desktop should have. I think all Linux desktops have at this point, but I think the masses just don't use it. You know, once people actually use it, it'd be hard to get away from that. Yeah, I was going to say for me, I know uh, as far as virtual desktops, I find them extremely valuable when I'm on a like a one display system. So be a desktop, laptop, whatever. They're invaluable there because then you can stay organized. Whereas if you're on that one display system, you don't have nine thousand things on one canvas you can organize it better where you can be like okay this is work this is this this is that and it just makes it easier to transition between where you need to go as far as how i guess we can call this this is going to be the <laughs> trying to not have any more bad mats you know you shouldn't even try at this point i guess you can call this the mac out loud podcast for a second how mac os <laughs> does it is very much how gnome does it so if you full screen an app it, that becomes its own window per se a lot of the Mac stuff is gesture-based, so a three-finger swipe up reveals all the open full-screen apps. 
and full screen apps are their own windows and you can add desktops and remove desktops. It's very much a GNOME style of managing desktops and stuff as opposed to like the KDE way of doing it. Now, I don't know because I don't use GNOME, but something on KDE that I use is the ability to jump to workspaces. I don't mean clicking in a corner or gestures, but since my fingers are on the keyboard a lot more than they are on the mouse, sometimes a touchpad, but I find that like doing, I don't have a touchpad on this computer that I'm using it anyway. I have hotkeys set up so I can use control and a function key to jump to specific desktops and then also moving applications to desktops once they're already open. So I don't know how easy it is to use that if you have to do a lot of like mouse right click title bar type activities on other interfaces, but the ease of how to do that in Plasma has made efficient work a lot easier. That is super nice. And I actually had to stop Magneto from moving an application to a different workspace here the other day because it was on one monitor, the TV that I use as a monitor, and the TV was currently turned off, and he was trying to get it pulled over into view, but he was clicking on it in a way that was going to make it switch desktops. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't want to switch to a different virtual desktops because then it'll be in the same place, same monitor, just a different workspace. So it is extremely handy. I've used it in the past. You're right. Being able to do that all from the keyboard and not having to use the mouse makes it work extremely quickly, especially if you have two very different tasks. You're working on one something comes up you need to jump into the other you can go do that without it taking those extra seconds of moving the mouse now i do have a gaming mouse i have the gaming mouse not necessarily for the purpose of gaming but because i can control those dpi settings and i can very quickly get that mouse across both 32 inch screens that i have and use on a regular basis but say I do have something going on another virtual desktop, just hit control, one of those function keys, I'm in it, done, and back to the other thing that I'm doing, which like you, my ADH brain needs me to not get distracted because when I get distracted by stuff, I go down these rabbit holes and next thing I know, I'm going to bed at two o'clock in the morning because I'm going down these different rabbit holes and not getting the show edited or whatever else needs done. Yeah, the rabbit hole is strong with me as well, which is why shutting off the notifications when I'm trying to do a focused activity, things like editing Linux Saloon and publishing it, you know, I have to stay mm -hmm. focused. So I shut off notifications I have a specific workspace that I'm doing the work, actually jump between two different workspaces, one for notes and one for doing the editing itself, and then keeping focused on task. It's a handy tool for sure for me to accomplish the things need to get done as quickly and as efficiently as possible. I think within that same realm would be all of the window controls that I have. I know I've heard people say that GNOME has this, maybe some of the others, but keep above others is a function that I use all of the time on my different systems. There's a window that I need to reference, whether it's got show notes or something else going on in it. And I need that to stay up, but I still want to access the window underneath it that's larger. I use that all the time. Being able to set sizes and placements of windows so they automatically open at the right size in the same place every single time, which is helpful when you have those virtual desktops too. So you can start it up, everything's in the exact same place and you are ready to rock and roll. It is so convenient and I'm used to having those features there. And to be honest, I haven't been using Linux that long. I think we determined somewhere in the six year mark. But now I definitely wouldn't want to live without it. It's like having two monitors on my main system. 
it's a minimum requirement now in order to feel like I can get my work done efficiently. I totally agree. And that's something else that I use all the time, the window control. For me anyway, like when I do the Linux saloon, I actually have things set up so I keep certain windows above and certain windows below so I can see all the information I want to see without essentially messing things up. And then having the ability then also to having the ability to quickly snap and tile windows as well is also incredibly important. The way that windows can snap next to each other, kind of when you get them close, they'll just pop in so you don't actually have to fiddle around to get it close to maximize the real estate of your screen and so forth. Those are just little I don't know, call them creature comfort or usability enhancements that really make Plasma something special to use. I gotta agree. I think the tiling slash snapping controls, however you want to use it, especially from the keyboard, if you're doing like meta and the arrow keys to shrink and maneuver multiple windows and stuff is a really, really nice feature to have. Not gonna lie. I use it a ton. I even added in the title bar, the keep above and keep below buttons. Not that I use keep below very much, but I have those in the title bar as well. So really quickly, I can just click on that and move something to a location. Like if I'm copying something out of like Telegram or whatever, and I'm on my laptop and I don't have the desktop real estate, I'll keep something above so I can copy and paste things in and out of a message or whatever, and then keep the other application at full screen because I need to. And just little things like that, little extra features, which I know Windows does not have the keep above and keep below, which makes life, I don't know, using it for managing information much more difficult. You basically have to buy another screen to utilize Windows, but window control features in Plasma really allows you to optimize the usage of single screen or, or smaller screen layouts. I learned something new today. I didn't realize that you can add that to the title bar itself. When we're done, that's happening. The things we learn from each other and we're supposed to be these normal Plasma users. That's why I do this show <laughs> with you guys. I have to learn something or at least be enabled. I enable you to purchase games, Nate. That's my job. And the Steam Deck. Uh, the Steam Deck you bought of your own accord without any instigation from me on that one. So don't even try to pawn that off on me. Uh, well, I just want to blame you. It's I'm not saying it's your fault. <laughs> I'm just blaming you. If anybody can say that, it'll be Wendy when I do enable her to actually end up purchasing one. Yes. In that case, it'll be a thousand percent all of Matt's fault. Well, okay. Not a thousand percent. I would say we are mostly Matt with a hint of Nate. I will totally own him. <laughs> 100% of that. <laughs> uh, no, it's probably more 50-50 because you both talk about it so much all the time. Very different reasons, though. Yes. But uh, one of my favorite things in... Actually, I have two favorite things in Plasma, but my favorite thing is allow similar apps to be grouped. So if you have multiple instances of something like Dolphin open and you're managing different files and different structures and all that stuff, and when you have that enabled and you go down to LatteDoc and the one thing that you have there is the icon in LatteDoc for Dolphin and you hover over it and you have the previews enabled and you can just bounce between them that one icon houses those three instances. So it's a really nice feature that I really do like. So for the previews and stuff, that is definitely something that I'm a big fan of because I use certain applications that are like multi-windowed applications too. So something like Cinelear, which is a multi-pane video editor, which is meant for multi-screen setups for like video editing workstation type deals. It uses the old GIMP setup, so the multi-paned windows really a big pain to manage when you alt tab because everything's a different window but if you go down the preview and hover over the icon you can just jump in between stuff it's a really nice feature that i don't think enough os's actually use the preview is very handy 
And also, if you have multiple, like right now I have multiple windows of Firefox open. I have different rules set up on different machines to see which one I like because I like them all, but for different reasons. So if I click on the icon, it has a little green dot to show there's, with a little plus in it, to show there's more than one Firefox open. If you hover over, you get multiple instances, and then clicking on it, you can actually cycle through them as well. And that's handy. But also I have on my laptop set up right now where I click on it, and then it brings up the preview so I can then quickly go to whichever one that I like. Because sometimes I have more than just two or three or four or six windows open. But don't tell anybody I'm, I'm terrible about closing things. So those little features are quite handy for depending on how you're using your desktop as well. The customization is so nice to have. Yeah, definitely. It's not even so much customization, like that customization leads to different types of workflows is I think what I found that I really like. I think for me though, one of the other ones that works in any Linux desktop that I've used anyway in the last few years, hot corners task-oriented specific hot corners is something that I love. You can do it in Plasma, you can do it in Deepin, you can do it in GNOME, in typical GNOME hacky kind of ways. There's just certain features like that that I really love too because they're task-specific and it doesn't matter if you're on a different desktop environment, it doesn't matter if you're on a different virtual desktop window or whatever, it, it's all just, oh, this action goes does this over here, this launches the menu, this gives me the overview, this gives me, you know, whatever you define it to be. I think Hot Corners is definitely an underrated feature as well. The question I have for you is on Hot Corners, do you have more than one set up right now? Uh, generically, I have two because I use Garuda, so I have have the, I guess you can call it the GNOME kind of KDE one that they use where it gives you like the overview of all your open apps and stuff with the search on the top. Down in the bottom right hand corner because I don't have anything there and my mouse is usually resting somewhere in there, I have that set up to actually launch the menu. Okay. Like right now I have present windows, all desktops in the top left corner, which is yep. default. And then in the top right corner, I have present windows and just in the current desktop. So back to the virtual desktop that I use or virtual, whatever they call them, workspaces. I have that. So when I'm focused on a specific task, I just go to the other corner to switch between the different windows in that one as well. Very handy for me. I have to use the top corners because the bottom corners is where I have my menus and such. So I could inadvertently um, trigger things I don't want by going to the corner on the bottom. Well, you got to remember, Nate, I use a very interesting setup for Plasma too. For me, the bottom's clean, the top's clean, everything's crammed to the left because I'm an old Unity user. See, and I am never been a fan of hot corners. I've only ever accidentally triggered them when they were on by default in some desktop environment. And then I was frustrated because I'm like, that's not what I want to do. It's like when I go to move a window out of the corner and it wants to full size it. I'm like, gosh, dang it. I don't want you to full size it. I just want you to come over here in this area. I haven't found them particularly useful, but maybe it's one of those things that if I customized a little bit, it could be a very useful tool. See, now you sent me down a rabbit hole there, Matt. I went to check the screen edge functions in Plasma. Mm -hmm. You can actually trigger KRunner just by going to the top. Uh -huh. You can trigger the application launcher just by going to the corner, like the same corner. So I don't even have to click. I can just trigger it now. Oh my goodness. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for the rabbit hole. Well, no, because if anybody's actually ever looked at the way I set up Plasma in that very Unity way, I only have two things up in the top bar, like the top title bar. Okay. I use the universal menu, the Unity style menu that Plasma offers, global menus, the hamburger menu that's in the launcher. I also only have a minimize and a close button, but the minimize and close button are spaced apart enough where if I go to the left to actually pop out the auto hide menu, it literally, all I have to do is hit the close button for the app and slide right over into the menu. That's just a preference thing. It's, it's a workflow thing for me. 
But if I'm down in the bottom corner, all I have to do is where my mouse usually is. It just brings up the menu anyway. I can just manage my windows and all that stuff right that way. So it's just, like I said, it's a workflow thing. That's very cool. I really like that. Like I said, we all have different workflows. I mean, yeah. anybody's ever seen Michael's workflow. There you go. <laughs> I, mean, I don't like the gold menu just in general. It doesn't do anything for me. I feel like it's a little bit old. And it's one of those things that if it works for somebody well, then who am I to judge? Except for you, Matt. I'll judge you. Well, I expect that from you, though. <laughs> <laughs> but only in the nicest, most non-meanest way possible. Sure. Because <laughs> I don't believe that one slightest bit. I'm never mean, Matt. And Wendy's never sinister when the mic's on. Exactly. Never, never, never. I think the last thing that I personally like is the way Katie Plasma has the built-in search for integration with different modules and stuff so if you want to install different menus and you know just that functionality extension that you have to jump through hoops in other desktops to use like kind of beat a dead horse and say like you have to deal with with the gnome where it's like oh here's like these 17 different esoteric ways that you have to install things if you want you know extensions like gnome tweaks <laughs> yeah and plasma is just like oh hey here's a bunch of you know you right click on the panel and you know, you edit the panel and you just say, oh, I want to use an alternative for the menu launcher. You know, you right click edit panel and it just does its thing. And, oh, you don't like that. Uh, okay, here's how to click the giant install and add button. And it takes you to a search for kdlook.org and it just pulls everything like that functionality and extensibility is amazing and i don't think ever gets enough attention sometimes that's definitely something i've used for specific applications or applets whatever on my desktop there's not a whole lot that i run but there are a few that i don't really want to run my system without if that makes any sense oh totally well it's like for me like i don't use the default menu that like garuda ships with garuda has like the fuzzy search one which is it's fine it's functional it works but it's not what i need it for so i use one that which is called kiki q for me personally okay a aesthetically it looks better based on the way i have plasma set up it's more of a full screen because everything's to the left it gives me more of a full screen kind of launcher but you can customize it so it's like oh what are your most often used applications here's your actual application category you want to go and use the file manager there's literally a thing like you can access all your most recent stuff like you normally would in like the old gnome um two days for getting into files and stuff and then you can have a thing that literally just says leave and it gives you all your closing options so for me it works and it's aesthetically pleasing because it slide because i have the auto hide it slides out with the auto hide so it just looks clean to me it's little things like that that make me love plasma i'm not gonna lie so total fanboy no it don't care kind of tangentially related to the last usability enhancement with the corners it's kind of a desktop effect i would say and i don't think they're just eye candy because obviously with the, the hot corners you, there's some functions you can get out of that but the other thing that i think is really handy is the slide effect when you go between the workspaces it sets in your mind where you were for a specific task the actual sliding effect it can help lock in if you have multiple desktops virtual desktops where the work was that you were doing because sometimes i can have a lot of things going and i may not remember which number it was but i can remember which direction it was that's another usability enhancement that i find very handy as well as transparency sometimes i like to just grab a window and move it slightly i get a little transparency and i can see what's behind it again it's not a huge thing but it's a nice handy little feature to have what are your top three things that you just cannot live without on your desktop, but you forget that they're even there? Make sure you drop us a line underneath this video or over on the discourse farm. Links in the show description.
This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords, and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project by signing up for that premium edition, especially since it starts at just $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. I might get to leave to a different country this year and Matt, you're taking us to a different country with Game of the Week. This particular game is part of a long running series that started back in, it's still gonna to be too new for you, but the series started back in, I believe, either 1999 or 2000 with Siberia, which is the name of the series. Always with the jabs. <laughs> I would never and always. So Siberia, the world before. This is the continuation from a game I'd recommended before, which is Siberia 3. This is, you know, Siberia 4, however you want to call it. It's the next one in the series. It takes place right after the ending of Siberia 3. It is a 3D point and click. I don't like that term because it's not 100% accurate. It's an environmental exploration adventure game. So you will, you know, look and see elements and explore those elements in the game and solve puzzles and that kind of stuff. But it's kind of a cool game because I played this on the Steam Deck on the live stream last week for GameSphere, or last episode by the time this came out. I ran this at 1080p on the output with the JSOC dock that I have. Everything was at ultra settings, and I was getting between 35 to 40 FPS at ultra settings. The only thing I had to turn down, I had to turn down shadows from ultra to high, and that was it. And it just worked. The cool thing that I really appreciated from this particular developer, though, was because I had tweeted out about it, and the developer was like, oh, cool. We're also working on fixing the small text issue within the Steam Deck to actually make it verified. Nice. So that bit of information was, like, awesome. The way I got around the small text issue, other than the fact it was on a big screen TV, <laughs> was I used the Steam fractional scaling stuff that they recently added in the beta channels. There's a way to kind of offset some of the text funkiness that some games will give, give you by using that because it appears to me anyway to be kind of a universal scaling that it does, which I'm totally fine with. So... If you like fun, kind of whimsical, but kind of slower paced games that are very story focused and very heavy on that, this is definitely one of those games that you can get into. Prior knowledge is helpful, but it's not necessarily mandatory. Lots of mechanical people in this, it looks like. Kind of steampunkish mechanical. Yes. There's two different timelines for this. One takes place in just before World War II, and the one that you generically play as is takes place in 2005. So the technology 
prior to that is automatons and stuff. So it's very clockwork based, very, you know, mm-hmm. Swiss time clock kind of technology is what they, they generically tend to use. Very cool. It does give it that kind of steampunk vibe. It's very unique in, in its like technology stuff. Again, it's a very unique game and a series that if you want a story-focused game, I can easily recommend it. Is it worth the 40 bucks? Eh, it depends on your gaming style. For me, I didn't pay 40 bucks for it, but it's definitely worth, to me, $40. The only issue that I have while watching the preview on this game is very early on, there's a, like a paddle boat, not a paddle boat, but like a, like what was like a, this, you'd see on the Mississippi River, it has a, the big paddle in the back. Oh, the paddle wheel boats. Yeah, paddle wheel boat. That's what I'm looking for. Well, the paddle wheel boat was moving faster than the paddle was moving in the water, and that irritated me. But that's the only <laughs> issue I have with the game at this point. Small aesthetic <laughs> stuff, which is ironic because this is a Unity engine game. Um, I will say for a Unity engine based game, this game looks fantastic. If it runs as good as it does on the Steam Deck from a graphics point of view, most people were kind of shocked because I believe the requirements on this like recommended was like a 2060, if I remember correctly, for a video card. Steam Deck ain't that. Like no dedicated, like there's dedicated GPU to an extent, but it's one of those, I'm surprised it runs as well as it does. I definitely enjoyed playing on uh, this particular game. This is one of those games that I have completed. So chalk it up to another win there for <laughs> something in my back while going away also what is lumen os i see one of the female characters was sitting behind a computer which looked like an old crt and it said lumen os on it <laughs> so i must know play the game and find out Nate. i'll have to wait like 20 years if that's not enablement i have no idea what is <laughs> that's total enablement i don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about he had a question <laughs> i told him the best way to get an answer is to you know go experience it for himself just saying i would never be an enabler one day never no not at all never nate on the other hand he's an enabler so while i'm busy (laughs) making recommendations and filtering games into nate's list of backlog that he will never play probably because they're too new generically nate it seems like you have found something of a client that was eh, kind of blocking up your network though. Well, trying to anyway. My inkjet printer that I did end up replacing, but then actually pulling back out of Mothball so I have printers in two different locations. My OfficeJet Pro 8600 is my top blocked client on my network. And I don't use it that often. I probably use it at the worst every two weeks. I'm printing something, but sometimes more often or using it as a scanner. My pie hole is just blocking it quite a bit. And I, I discovered this kind of by accident when I was adding some rules for my Steam Deck, which I talked about earlier. But I was you know, investigating like what is being blocked by the pie hole just out of curiosity. And it looks like the top block client is the OfficeJet Pro 8600. And then, which makes sense, my Commodore 64 imposter, because I do a lot of web browsing on that, and there's a lot of advertising out there on the interwebs. So a lot of that stuff is getting blocked, my computers and whatnot. A lot of that advertising being blocked by the pie hole, which makes sense. But I was just curious, you know, why is the OfficeJet Pro 8600 being blocked so much? Like, what what is going on? So a little digging. It's a bunch of little things like app measurement, uh, Google Leads. I didn't know Google Leads was in the OfficeJet Pro 8600 by default. So there's a lot of, like, just cruft crammed in it. It was quite surprising. I got a whole list. Data.flurry.com. What are they gathering? Anyway, makes me... Very grateful that I have the pie hole. And then I thought I'd do some more digging and to see like, what are the top clients? Like what are the things being blocked? And the Steam Deck has nothing that's being blocked at all. I'm kind of surprised that quite literally the Steam Deck doesn't show up. So even though it is an appliance built around making money selling games, there is no intrusive tracking being done that I can tell right now by the Steam Deck. Wait, 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 wait. 
So you're saying that your HP office printer is more intrusive as far as tracking than a client that is built for selling things. Yes. At least from looking at the output that... My logs in Pi-hole. <laughs> at least from looking at the logs that your uh, Pi-hole is generating as far as traffic and where it's going. That is kind of interesting because most people would assume, oh, Steam, you know, online, so they're always going to be tracking and phoning home and all the other stuff. No, not really. That is definitely interesting. So for those who are a little more privacy focused, Steam might not be as bad as y'all think. I'm saying. Now, this is just a very surface look at the traffic that's being blocked. And it's not even one of the top clients that's even doing anything on my network. It doesn't even hit my top 10 clients. So it is something to be said for a device that is meant for making money for a specific company. I would be curious to see what your traffic throughput would look like when you are downloading stuff from it, though. I, I can check that out. I can follow up in that regard. That would be interesting, yeah. Just from a like a tracking point to see how far or how high that goes, whether or not they track you a ton or it's just, oh, you plug into a Steam game, here you go, then they that's pretty much it. If that's the case, then... It does synchronize. Yeah, that is cool. They seem to be less of an issue with the tracking and all the other stuff. Yeah, because I know the device on our network that is probably the most aggressive with tracking is the Roku that we have for streaming. We actually have two in the house and it definitely has the most blocked domains and multiple Roku domains that are being blocked. I don't know that I'd want to use a device like this anymore especially after seeing all the phoning home that it does without having a pie hole set up yeah, it's pretty amazing like this weekend i spent quite a bit of time on my steam deck you know, just playing some games wait 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 you play games yeah actually quite a bit mostly with my oldest we're playing uh, just some just some games you know were they new not new to you but within like the last 10 years new these games were definitely new to me yes <laughs> <laughs> doesn't answer the question <laughs> All right, so I just got through Pokemon Red from like 1990-something, and I got like, I want to say it was like 60-some hours of gameplay on that. So yeah, I'm using a $600 device to play games that run on a, you know, I guess they're 8-bit games. 8-bit <laughs> games on a monochrome screen. Oh, I use the color option with it, so you get the kind of the washed out. No, 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 I'm saying the original game on a monochrome screen. Yes, 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 monochromatic screen, yeah. Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, continue. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm probably not using the Steam Deck to its fullest, but I'm certainly having a lot of fun with it. So Wendy, I see that there's some bad news about your favorite audio editor that makes Linux out loud churn week in and week out. I was super bummed when I read this news and I will share a link to it down below, but I will read it to you in full. You can find this on Mastodon for Tenacity. Hey, our audio editor is on hiatus, as most of us has moved on to other projects. Our GitHub organization is now mostly hosts previously unmaintained audio libraries that were brought up to speed with the 21st century. A very cool person has been silently working on another fork, Saucedacity alone ever since a bit after the time we popped around. We're discussing on how to carry over our work to that project. So Tenacity is pretty much dead, according to this Mastodon post. There is another Audacity fill-in or fork 
called Saucedacity. I really like Tenacity better than Saucedacity, but that's beside the point. Anyway, this other one is still currently being worked on. Tenacity is talking about rolling over the stuff that they have done, the work that they've done, and they did put a lot of time into that over to this other project that is currently actively being worked on. I'm incredibly sad to see this project go, but I'm not overall surprised. Like there at the very beginning, they were constantly talking about it. There was a lot of work being done. Then there was some drama that kind of happened down inside of it. And next thing you know, everybody's gone their separate ways. Work's not being done on it anymore. I feel like this happens a lot with open source projects that get forked. So I'm kind of curious to test out this other one, though I haven't yet. I don't have it downloaded. One of the issues that Tenacity has been having that it sounds like Saucedacity, that still sounds so weird, is currently having is that when you have things expanded, it will take the bottom track and have it too far down. And it won't let you scroll down to grab that tab or whatnot, which is really, really frustrating because one of the features that I use all of the time is to auto fit tracks as I'm working with different things so that everything is equally laid out. And as I'm going through multiple tracks, if you're not aware the way this show is recorded, each person has their own individual track. The best part about that, if there's any background noise that's going on, at one person's location or whatnot. It's so much easier to clean out if you've got three different tracks that you can just silence an area where you can pick out the background noise and use the background noise tool. Sometimes we're talking over each other and while we're able to hear that and continue the conversation, there are moments where everything that someone said really needs to be heard because it adds totally to the conversation and those little bits get moved around so that we're no longer talking over each other. Multiple tracks is extremely important and having an audio editor that properly handles those multiple tracks is also incredibly important. And when you get to one where it's not scrolling all the way down so you can't see the bottom track, that's not so bad in the initial edit portion of the show when it's just the three of us. In those cases, I will have four tracks so each person on the show plus a label track, which I use the label track like crazy. It's an important part of my workflow. And then when I'm done with all of that, then other things get added in, like the music and the ads and whatnot. The more you add to that screen with this current bug, some of those get hidden and it gets really, really frustrating and difficult to move them where they need to be inside the overall show structure. Until that gets fixed, Tenacity hadn't been usable and Saucedacity probably wouldn't be usable for me for a full show edit because sometimes, especially when I go in to add stuff from the past or whatnot, which I've done, I can have six, seven tracks, up to eight I think I've had in one, and I can't not see tracks. You don't really have to upgrade though immediately, do you? You could stay on Tenacity for an extended period of time. Are there any features that it's not providing that you still need? That's the problem. I haven't been able to use Tenacity since that bug came up. 
and it hasn't been fixed. I've had to go back to an older version of Audacity. So I have all the features I need and it's not hiding audio tracks from me. Ah, I see. Until that bug gets fixed, even this replacement for Tenacity isn't a viable solution because of all the tracks I end up working with in the end. All right, I'm picking up your laying down now. So, Wendy, I was just looking at Sostasty's uh, GitHub, I believe, and they are looking to change the name, by the way. Yay! I'm pretty excited about that. Not saying that it's not kind of fun when you first read it. I'm like, okay, you know, saucy and taking the place of audacity, but really, I think we could do better. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the things they mentioned. It's like, as we get taken more seriously, we want to <laughs> get away from the funny haha kind of name, but not get it too serious. So I can appreciate that, though. So that's definitely something we'll have to keep an eye on as this changes and grows. And when that bug gets fixed, it is something they are actively working on. I'll let you all know because I will definitely be using it when that's no longer an issue. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or the contact form by visiting textdigital.com contact. If you would like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hard Radics, Gamesphere, Linux Saloon, and more at textdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting Tux Digital Merch Store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here shirt or join Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. Make sure to send all your hate mail to matt at linuxoutloud.com or tuxedo.com <laughs> matttdn.com just make sure you send hate mail to matt instead it should be bring back bill <laughs> <laughs> okay peace out later guys bye <laughs>